In this week's show, I got to interview TV presenter and journalist Sarah Kredas, who has a new book out called Look Up, Our Story with the Stars. It's been a big week for rocket launches, so as always, we will round up all the latest news from the world of spaceflight. Regular listeners will no doubt be bored of this little announcement, but if you're new, please come and find us on social media. If you're on Twitter, we're at Space and Things One, or get involved at Space and Things Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. It's always great to hear from you, so please do get in touch. But right now, it's time to launch into episode 12 of Space and Things Podcast. You're listening to the Space and Things Podcast with Emily Carney and Dave Giles. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles, and welcome to episode 12 of our podcast. It's one, it's one of those weeks, isn't it, Emily, where there's so much to go to, to do and so much to talk about. I mean, we could have had a whole show about anniversaries. So it's the uh, anniversary of Apollo 12, and the final Skylab mission started around now. There's so much going on. Yes. Uh, it's it's pretty crazy time. Yeah, there is certainly a lot going on um, in the space world right now, and we had uh, uh, several launches this week. So, yeah, and, uh, we had... We had a lot going on. I, I actually thought we might get through this whole podcast. And this is me, right? Everyone who's listening, who's a regular to the show, it's me bringing it up. It's me bringing it up. I thought we were going to get through the podcast without a mention of Skylab. <laughs> right. I just realized that you brought it up and I didn't this it was, time. It's me. Who's That's it up. incredible. Yep. And That's incredible. I, I actually wanted to bring it up because we may get sidetracked here. Which is likely, but there was a cool Skylab <laughs> event that you were at yesterday, right? Online. Yeah, it was really awesome. Um, yeah, yesterday I, I uh, there was a panel uh, put on by the uh, Searching for Skylab team. Uh, uh, it was Dwight Stephen uh, Bonecki, I'm running his name. He put on a panel and there was a pretty much the team who worked on the film, including me. I was the technical advisor and um, it did include uh, some family members of Skylab uh, astronauts, uh, like Bruce McCandless the third was on it. He's hi Bruce. <laughs> He's probably listening to this. Hey Bruce, um, the son of, of course, Buck Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> Buck Rogers him himself. But anyway, um, yeah. But on the panel, uh, Joe Kerwin and Ed Gibson were on it. Ed Gibson called in, and Joe Kerwin uh, zoomed in, and it was really cool. It was. It was really, I mean, it was wonderful to see Joe, but it was really wonderful just hear from Ed. He sounds wonderful. And Good. I was hoping to run into Ed this year, just at an event or something like that. He's hysterical. He's a very well-loved astronaut. He's a really cool guy. And uh, he was on our, I believe, our second episode, and he's just a fantastic guy. And uh, he was on. It was wonderful just to hear his voice like, oh, Ed Gibson's come to save us. <laughs> He's saving 2020. So, yeah, it was wonderful just to hear everybody. It was like a little mini Skylab kind of a family reunion almost, which is nice because there's a lot of people who love Skylab. But I think the the circle of Skylab experts is kind of small because it's I hate to say it. Uh, it's kind of underrated. Because it came, you know, kind of in the middle. It's the middle child, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's between, you know, the moon missions and the space shuttle. So it's like, yeah, it'll be fine. You know, it, we don't have to do anything with this one. It'll be good. And then years later, it's like, what happened with your middle kid? You know? I, so, yeah, the middle one needs attention, needs some love, too. Yeah, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you got to do it. It must have been nice to get everyone together. And um, even though you couldn't, obviously, 
in the flesh. That's one of the great things about this year that we've been able to do that. So I hope you enjoyed it. But it was we, amazing. Should, should we get started? And, and for the record, it was me. You know, it was me brought it up. Emily, <laughs> Emily wouldn't have done it. I'm pretty sure she would. She would have gone a whole episode without it. But uh, maybe next week will be the, the show we we don't mention it. Who knows? We don't bring it up at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there'll be one. We're we're on to number twelve, and it's every week's. But it's all good. We're we're not treating it like a middle child. That's for sure. I lost control. Sorry. We copy and we know what that feels like. (laughs) It's obviously been a high-profile week in space, so here's the news first that you may have missed. Uh, The United Launch Alliance got back to launching after a number of scrubs and delays with the launch of their Atlas V rocket from the Space Coast on Friday night. They were on a mission from the U.S. National Reconnaissance Office and the U.S. Space Force. A very brief history, the ULA was set up as a joint venture in 2006 between Boeing and Lockheed Martin. CEO Tori Bruno was keen to point out that it was their 141st successful launch since the formation of the company. There was also a launch on Monday night, that was uh, November 17th, of the Vega rocket by Ariane Space from French Guiana. Unfortunately, the upper stage suffered a major failure about eight minutes in after liftoff, uh, which caused the loss of the two satellites it was carrying for Spain and France. This is the second failure of the Vega rocket in its last three launches. Uh, This is a timely reminder that space is really hard, and um, this really must be heartbreaking for uh, all of those who have worked on the satellites and the team of Ariane Space. Hopefully, they'll fix the problem in the future. Uh, by the way, Ariane Space, uh, I totally mangled the pronunciation of it, Ariane Space. I have no idea what the pronunciation is. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's French. Yeah. It's fancy. Um, Ariane Space. I'm so sorry. Oh Amazing. my God, how did I screw that up? I'm so sorry, Ariane Space. Uh, Ariane Space was set up, I think it's called the Ariane Group now on um, social media. Okay. was set up in 1980. Uh, I want to say... Uh, one of their first rockets went up in 1979. Oh, okay. Uh, Ariane 1. Uh, on, I want to say it was Christmas Eve, 1979. It's a really neat picture. I think it's on... It's a neat picture, and there's a neat little video on YouTube of it. I'll find that um, for the show notes. Yeah, but there was... um They were um, the world's first uh, commercial launch provider, which is kind of a neat note. A lot of people don't credit them with that. 40 years. Yes, that's a long time yeah. in uh, space flight since uh yeah the late 70s so pretty cool but of course the big news uh which we spoke about in last week's podcast was that uh spacex in partnership with nasa launched the crew one dragon with american astronauts uh michael s hopkins victor glover and shannon walker and japanese astronaut uh soichi noguchi it was a beautiful night launch and now the crew are aboard the international space station uh, where they will be living and working for the next six months. Yeah, did you get to watch it? Well, I, you did get to watch it, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. Uh, it, it was really cool. I, I actually went to uh, my family's house because um, me and my husband were actually off on the same day for oh, the wow. first time in like years. I, uh, it seemed like years. So we went. Um, we actually went to my sister's house, and everybody there's not sick or anything, so we were pretty safe. So uh, we went over there and my sister and uh, I and my niece went outside because I was like, man, if we look towards the east, we're going to be able to see it. And they were like, really? I was like, yeah, we'll see it from here because uh, I see launches from St. Petersburg all the time and yeah. stuff. So we went outside and we looked to the east. You know, I had my compass. 
<laughs> I had my compass. I had my compass with me, and we looked to the east. And sure enough, we saw the uh, the little. It looked like a little like a comet, but we saw the orange streak. And then um, at staging, you saw the streak kind of fade out, and then it came back, and then you just saw it go all the way to orbit. Fantastic. So we saw it. It was amazing. So I think that was uh, my niece's first launch. Oh wow! Cool. That's amazing. Yeah. It was really cool. That's a nice thing to have shared with her. I guess that's the that's really cool. It was special. I'm glad. Th- I'm glad I saw it with them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you've broken your curse. Yes, that's finally. The big, that's I the broke big the news. curse. The curse has gone. <laughs> it's been lifted. Yeah, the curse. Yes, the curse was lifted on over this weekend. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I'm wondering why. Maybe I don't know. We had ham that evening for some reason. So I don't know. Um, maybe it's because I ate pork. I have no idea why. I'm not supposed to eat pork. I have yeah. no idea. I'm just making that up. Yeah, I have no yeah, idea. That, maybe that it was it. something. That could be could it. Could be it. Who knows? But yeah, my curse was broken this time, finally. I finally got to see a launch. I think that's the first one I've seen. I could be wrong. I want to say that's the first launch I've seen since uh, the uh, Solar Orbiter. The oh, ESA wow. Yeah, Solar yeah, yeah. Orbiter in, uh, God, that, I think that was February. Wow. 12 years ago in February. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it feels that way, doesn't it? It, it does feels feel like that. that. Yeah, cuz I'm like I'm like a whole 5 years older since then. That's nuts. Yeah. It was it was a wonderful launch that, that once again that the, the the stream was amazing and I loved the access we got in, into the into the capsule and uh, and just around the launch pad as well. One thing I thought they did really well. It's the first time I I've seen someone I I was thinking it and then I seen a couple of other people tweet it so I was glad I wasn't alone. On this on the live stream when they were just in the moments before the launch the sound at the pad was amazing. They've clipped like all the sounds from the of the spray coming off and all the gases coming off and the and the and the oxygen was amazing like they've clearly worked on putting some microphones strategically around the pad uh, and it added so much to the to the to the launch for me i was like this is great um there's something we missed last week and i'm annoyed that we missed this this is one of those things i'm annoyed that we didn't bring up because this is a great fact and it's about uh soichi uh, Noguchi, who becomes the third, only the third person in history to have launched into space on three different spacecraft. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't think of that at all, but that's true. I didn't think of it. Yeah, yeah. on three different spacecraft. I mean, it's it's just amazing, isn't it? That that you know, and the other two being uh, Wally Shearer and John Young. Um, so it's, yes. it's it's been that long since something like that has happened as well. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty cool that he's the first person to have done that in that long, and he's such a cool guy. I love I, I've been loving watching him in the run up to the to the launch. He's all, he's just one of those people that just makes you smile. So yeah, that's I think that's a great milestone that, that someone that someone else has achieved. So only the third person, which is great. Yeah, um, third person ever to do this. Exactly, that's really incredible. Exactly, uh, you yeah. And also, there, I did enjoy the. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but they took Baby Yoda up as their zero gravity yeah. indicator, which which was amazing. The internet has definitely enjoyed that one. They knew what they were doing there, didn't they? They knew they was going to get all the memes with that. Um, so so that was pretty cool. But yeah, they're, they're on they're cool. on board now, and hopefully, we'll get a load of science out of them, which is which is what we want. And, and I hope they enjoy their mission. But there's another thing we have to do before before we move on. We actually missed the story. I, I found out about this yesterday, uh, and I, I apologize for that. On November seventh, the Indian Space Research Organization launched ten satellites into orbit on their Polar Satellite Launch Vehicle. Uh, it was the fifty first flight of this rocket. Um, or this type of rocket, and it's the first time they've, they've launched in 11 months after a hate due to the pandemic. So um, 
Um, apologise for missing that bit of news. And uh, I don't really know anything about the Indian Space Programme, I'll be really, really honest. So I will do more research as and when it comes up. And I'm now following accounts, which means hopefully I won't miss future stuff. Uh, but yeah, yeah we, we did miss that. But that's, that just shows how much is going on at the moment, right? Yeah, we internationally, there is a ton going on in spaceflight right now. And there's um, usually something always going on. I mean, just... I follow Europe's space flight accounts. I follow uh, ESA's accounts. And I always love to hear, like, you know, what they're doing. And I, I don't know. I just, I like international space flight a lot, too. So yeah. it's really cool. There's always something going on. It's not just limited to the United States. Uh, as much as I love our program, and I'm not, you know, dissing our program by any stretch of the imagination. It's just, uh, it's just, you know, I, I love seeing what's going on all over the world. And, how we're all kind of just doing our thing and, uh, yeah. you know, uh, I don't know. I just love it. Space yeah. flight is love. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, well, yeah, let's, let's, let's crack on with, uh, with the main part of the show now. Uh, but that's what's been going on in space this week. Okay, we're off to a good start, flight cool. So this week I was able to talk to Sarah Crudas. I hope I pronounced that correct. I'm so bad with names, but anyway, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correct. I'm sure Sarah will tell me off if not. She is a British television presenter, space journalist and author. And she's just released a wonderful new book called Look Up, Our Story with the Stars. And very kindly agreed to come on the podcast to talk about the book and, of course, all things space. Uh, the book really is amazing and is wonderfully inspiring. Uh, so it's no surprise to me that she was just as engaging and inspiring to talk to as well. Uh, she really has a wonderful backstory too. After gaining a Bachelor of Science degree in astrophysics from the University of Leicester, she ended up working for the BBC as a weather presenter. And whilst working at the BBC, she was constantly trying to find ways to pitch space stories and developing various science shows for them. Uh, and in 2011, she was aware, this is in her book, in 2011, she was aware that the BBC had not yet commissioned anyone to cover the last space shuttle launch. So she booked two weeks off and flew over to Florida in the hope that someone would realise they should be covering it and should get the call to present it. And it paid off. And since then, she's become somewhat of a, a star in the space world and, and a national treasure, I would say, with, uh, in this country. Uh, and she's writing for a number of magazines and publications. Uh, and she's presented shows on the Discovery Channel and National Geographic in the US. And uh, she's also written three children's books. And now this is her first adult's title, as I mentioned earlier. I've absolutely loved this interview, and I hope you will too. Hey, uh, world, hold on to your hat. I'm going to turn you upside down. Hello, Sarah. Thanks very much for joining us. Hi. Uh, firstly, congratulations on the release of Look Up. Um, if it's anything like releasing an album, then I'm sure it's been an emotional but hopefully rewarding time. Um, I read the I, I read the book as soon as it came out. I loved it. Um, I oh, it's it's you. like to me. I felt it's like a manifesto for spaceflight uh, or a pep talk for anyone who needs to know why we're excited about it and a rallying cry to come together to inspire achieve. When you were writing it, did, I love that. Did you have? <laughs> Thank you. Okay. When you were writing it, did you have a target audience in mind? That's a great question, Angie. No one's asked me that question before. And I think um, my idea was to just to inspire anyone from any walks of life. Mm. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, a house husband in Arkansas or a, a postman in Leeds in the UK. I just wanted to inspire anyone at any stage in their life about why space exploration matters. Because we focus so much on the use that we forget that space can enrich so many people's lives. You don't have to be a scientist. You don't have to be an astrophysicist or an astronaut or an engineer but all of you can can look up and feel inspired. And, mm. you know, it's as much, you know, space exploration and, and looking up at the night skies is much about 
philosophy as it is about science. And my audience was just the person on the street, anyone who's ever searched for meaning in their life or or wanted to have a spark of curiosity. But of course, there's always going to be the space fans and and I myself am obviously a huge space fan and and I of course wanted to write for them as well. But I just think if I can just enrich someone's life that little bit more with all the positivity and the wonder and the curiosity that comes from space exploration, to my audience is anyone. And it's never too late to learn about space and to love space and to get the benefit that, that space can bring to your own life and that wondering and dreaming can. So, yeah, if you've ever wondered quite deep questions such as, why am I here? Why do we exist? Are we alone in the universe? What is this all about? Then this book is for you. And of course, if you are already a diehard space fan, then you're always going to want to consume space content. But mine I, you know, I grew up on benefits in the outskirts of Hull in the UK. Um, I'm not from a spectacular background, but space transformed my life. So if I can give back to those communities, those lesser communities through books and through my television work, then that's kind of my mission in life. That's, that's, that's fantastic. I, I think what you, what you did really well is um, you told stories, which I've obviously heard many times before, but you told them in a way that was accessible, accessible. I think you didn't, you didn't bog it down with jargon, which does make it accessible to, to, to anyone on the street who's never heard of these things before. Anyway, chapter two is called Dedication, Determination and Sacrifice. And I'm yeah. not, not going to lie, I got quite emotional uh, when reading oh, it. Um, I think that's good because that shows my words worked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you highlighted some, some really key human stories, uh, which I think are inspiring and often overlooked. Uh, and with the book being called Look Up, I wonder if there is one person in particular that you look up to within the space world as the ultimate inspiration for yourself. That's that's an interesting question. Um, it's difficult to pinpoint one person who's inspired me and who I look up to because space gives us heroes by the bucket load. And more than ever, more you know, in this difficult year, twenty twenty, we need heroes. We need people mm. who are going to inspire us. It doesn't matter if you're going to go into space exploration, but who are going to inspire us to do better in our own lives to follow our own dreams um but if I was a single one person out who really inspired me um and again it's all personal because there's so many different elements but for me um so I'm a child of the 90s born in the 80s grew up in the 90s um but I so I don't really remember the challenger I was like one years old but I remember learning about the challenger and uh in the 90s when internet kind of came along for the first time remember those dial-up modems you had and (laughs) Um, for me it was a woman called Judy Resnick and she's often her tales often overshadowed because of Christa's presence on the queue, on the crew of a, a challenger and I, and I toyed with telling her story but um I, I chose Christa's story over over Judy's for the book but um for me Judy represented so much more for the first time ever I was seeing you know I loved reading about the Apollo astronauts as a kid but they're all white and male and then mm. all of a sudden I was seeing this woman who was wearing makeup and she was had a doctorate in engineering and, and she was an astronaut and she died serving her country and she just inspired me so much you know she wasn't trying to be the first woman or the first Jewish woman in space or, or the first anything she just wanted to be an astronaut and I've heard you know stories um, there's a great book by Mike Mullane called Riding Rocket. Yeah I was just about to say have you read it his, his account of Judy is amazing yeah, he, he was obviously very close to Judy. I've read that book twice. Um, and he talks a lot about how, you know, she was just respected by the astronaut crew. And even after her death, people still talked about her um, as a legend of the astronaut community, a real astronaut's astronaut. And and she kind of 
broke so many stereotypes for women. Like she, how dare she be an unmarried woman? Mm. You know, in the 1980s, this was unheard of—an unmarried career woman, and who was also beautiful and intelligent, and all these things, um, which kind of like contradicted each other at the time. And this is incredible but also disappointing video clip of Judy being interviewed. I think it was in 1981, 1982, and the um, the interviewer, and you can find this clip on YouTube, where the, the news anchor is asking her um, about the chances of romance in space and whether her being an astronaut actually intimidates men. And she just answered it with such grace and, and dignity. And the questions by 2020 standards are disgraceful, but she had to put up with all of this. And I, I really feel like, People remember Sally Ride. People remember Krista McAuliffe. But apart from people within the space community, people don't really talk about Judy Resnick as much. And she never sought to be a hero, but the world needs more people like her. And for me, she inspired me growing up. She was probably one of the greatest influences on my young career, reading about her and wanting to follow in her footsteps. Emily, my, my co-host, uh, Judy is her childhood hero. She's a, she's a tiny bit older than us. So for her as a child of the eight, like she, she was in the eighties, a child, young child and could see, and she was Jewish as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. She's going to be very happy that, that you mentioned that. Um, we before we before we started this, we we mentioned that we'd been to quite a lot of museums. And I, when when I was reading your book, I assumed that you'd seen quite a lot of the things that I have because you mentioned Deke Slayton's astronaut pin in your book. Yeah. And when I was when I did my big traveling around all the different museums, that one artifact was possibly one of the most moving things I saw, even though it was just this tiny pin. I don't know what, when I saw it, it really got to me, the backstory behind it, the the, the, the connection with Gus and, and the fact that the everyone rallied behind Deke who didn't at that point, they didn't know if he was going to get to fly again. But is there an, an artifact that you think is in a museum, which you don't think gets enough attention. Obviously the spaceships get all the attention, but if you were to create your own air and space museum, what would you like to steal to put in it that people wouldn't expect? I love this question. Wow. Um, Jim, my, my gut answer is going to be quite a cliche one. And I think it does get a lot of attention, but maybe it needs more attention. And it is, um, Columbia. It's, um, the Apollo one, Apollo 11, sorry, command module, because I, I think, it, it does get a lot of attention. Um, I, I was there with it in um, Seattle last year when it was at the Museum of Flight last year. Um, but I just think that is history. That is history that will live for, you know, when we're all dead and gone and forgotten um, in a thousand years from time. From now, people will know Apollo 11 and, and what that mission did. So for me, the Apollo 11 command module is my my favorite artifact i do appreciate that is quite a cliche one and the other one would be neil armstrong's spacesuit i i saw that for the first time at the smithsonian last year and you're nodding because <laughs> you saw it there also and um, that was there were people crowding around it i i went back twice i went back really early in the morning to see it for a second time when it was less crowded um but you can't get bigger than that you, you can't get bigger than apollo 11 and um, other artifacts, that is a great question. I mean, I like, um, so I'm, I'm a space history buff. I love the, you know, for me, I I grew up inspired by stories of the, you know, the beginning of the space age in the 1960s. For me, um, I would say things like 
Pete Conrad's spacesuit, which is also at the Air and Space Museum, one of his spacesuits. And he was this real character. Like, I, I, you know, his first words when he set foot on the moon, Pete Conrad, was it may have whoopee, that may have been a, <laughs> a, a small one for Neil, but it was a long one for me, um, poking, fun to the fact, poking fun at the fact he was rather short. So um, I think it's the, the real characters and the personalities of the astronauts, um, for me, which matters. But in, in terms of one artefact, it, I think it's difficult to pinpoint, no pun intended with your pin yeah. there. Um, but also... And I'm pretty sure you've probably seen this before and hopefully people listening to this would have had the chance to see this or might get to see it in the future. But it's the, the Apollo 1 spacecraft door, which is on display now at NASA's Kennedy. Like, yeah. That is, um, and around the display as well, they have um, artifacts from um, Gus Grissom, um, Roger Chaffee and Ed White and, and just those personal artifacts because we... We celebrate so many successes in space exploration, but our successes are only possible because of failures and, and learnings from the failures. And there's perhaps no greater failure than Apollo 1 and, and the, the sacrifice of those three men in, in a horrendous manner. And I think that that door, because what the learnings from Apollo 1, from the failure of Apollo 1, pretty much ensured that no Apollo astronaut died in space as a result of, of what we, we learned, the mistakes that were made in Apollo 1. Um, so for me, I think it's, you know, celebrate the successes. We're never going to get better than Apollo 11 yeah. in terms of what it did for humanity, but also it's it's an ode to those who paid the ultimate price, who enabled us to succeed because without their sacrifices, we wouldn't have succeeded in space. Yeah, that's a, that's a great exhibit that at Kennedy Space Centre. that I'd read, literally just before I went, I read a book written by Roger Chaffee's dad oh, uh, wow. a few years after the Apollo 1 uh, fire. It was probably only a couple of years after it's quite an old book i found it in a bookshop in wigtown in scotland of all places and um within this book he talked about roger building model ships and his prized possession apparently was this model cutty sark uh um you you know the the, the yeah yeah i know (laughs) and um it was in, and so so I, mean, I was like, it, it was really vivid. This whole almost a, a big long section all about this one artifact or one thing that that uh, Roger Chaffee absolutely adored, and it was on his desk. And I got to the Apollo One exhibit, and there it was within the the Roger Chaffee cabinet, wow. and I was just like, oh my god, it there it is. It was one of those great human moments that connected me with with Roger and and. Uh, uh, Roger Chaffee, I think, is one again one of those overlooked astronauts because he what like, Gus was one of the Mercury Seven. Ed was the first American to do a spacewalk, and Roger's the other one in Apollo One that was. The I know, and he he never got to go to space. Yeah, and that's just so. I worked on a couple of movies, um, Last Man on the Moon, and also Mission Control, the unsung heroes of Apollo. But in Last Man on the Moon, there's this incredible interview with, and I really would recommend these two um, documentaries if you haven't seen them. And um, there's this incredible interview with Mark, um, Martha Chaffee, um, oh. the wife of Roger Chaffee, and, and she's just so poised and dignified, but even more than five decades on, it's still such a painful thing, uh, you know, and we, all, we only hear about the successes in space exploration, but those successes, you know, and astronauts and the famous astronauts even are just the tip of the iceberg. It, you know, space exploration is bigger than any one individual, any one company, uh, country, any one company, any one person. It's, it's about a huge team effort and and yes you get a few celebrity astronauts within that and of course you are and that inspires people but there's there's all those names people who died in training people who um, like Roger Chaffee who never got 
to see space, mm. who, who was by all accounts a, a really nice guy. And I'm sure you've heard the stories about Roger Chaffee, how he would go and thank the little guys. So when they were, were touring around um, the spacecraft manufacturers, he would go and thank the janitors and he'd go and thank the, the people who were involved in like making small parts, the tools, that was it, the tools that are used to make the spacecraft. And he went and thanked them and made them feel like they were the most important guys in the world. And I, yeah, there's so much unfilled potential but it is because of that sacrifice that we were able to succeed and step forward and do all these incredible things in space and as we look to this decade um and and hopefully humans returning to the moon and all these things we can't imagine and there's going to be so many people who we don't hear of but who make those things possible so i think when we think of space exploration we need to think less about celebrities and, and michael collins and michael collins was so grateful he wrote the forward for my book um you know and one of the things he um, has mentioned quite a lot in the media is how his dislike of celebrities. Mm. And, and I think that's a really great thing because often, you know, we get obsessed with this selfie world, this um, social media world where everyone wants to be famous, but it's not about being famous. It's about what do you want your impact on humanity to be? What, what legacy, not so much legacy, but how do you want to leave the world a better place than when you came into it? And, and people like Roger Chaffee did that. And, and maybe they're not as famous in the history books as Neil Armstrong or Buzz Aldrin, but their contributions matter as much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Mike, Mike Collins, it just, it just continues to, to be that hero. And again, though, he's, I guess he was part of Apollo 11, but, he is that what that quiz question who was the third astronaut on Apollo 11 and most people get it wrong it's it's you know for us he's a superstar but he's still not as well known in the greater world as as he should be and he probably likes it that way in fairness but I did manage to catch him last year at, do a do a talk on space diplomacy and uh with the Artemis Accords recently being signed or announced and it's it great seeing some of the bigger countries sign up for that um, there were, though, some key players that weren't on the list. Um, how important do you think space diplomacy is going forward? Obviously, obviously, space flight is important, but how important do you think it is that we use space to bring everyone together to try and do things united for once rather than divided? I mean, the ISS is a great example, obviously. Well, yeah, and I think the ISS is, you know, uh, this has been said quite a few times, and I mentioned this in my book as well, but the ISS is deserving of a Nobel Peace Prize because you've got nations which might not get together on Earth, such as Russia and the United States, working together in space, because it goes back to this concept of space is so hard that we need to go as one species, we need to collaborate to succeed in space because it's greater than any one country or any one individual. And, um, you know, it would be naive to say that we're going to be peaceful as we explore space because the reality is that humans fight with each other. We, mm. we only have to look on at what's gone on on Earth. But my, my hope is that because space is so hard and it is so difficult and so far to date, there hasn't been a war in space. Space has been about collaboration. It's been about working together to um, do things for humanity and the fact that we may call these individual countries home, but when we leave Earth, we will call Earth home we all call the same planet home so actually we're more united than we are um it's going to get interesting china's obviously rising as a superpower in space china was languishing under mao during the apollo program and, and now we're seeing huge successes from china in space but the us and china don't work together the china's not involved in the international space station and um, then you've got commercial companies coming forward they're competing with each other but driving forward innovation and technology and, and what we're seeing is um Obviously, there's a UN Outer Space Treaty, um, which has been signed by more than 100 countries, and we are seeing um, 
space law develop at the same time as we, we push forward and push beyond Earth for more sustainable periods and further out into the solar system. But it, it's something which has to develop with the industry. And I, I think it's easy to be like, oh, well, we screwed up this planet, we'll screw up other ones. But we have to be optimistic here. We have to believe that when we go to space, it changes people. You know, the mm. impact of seeing the Earth from space changes people. And we have to we have to be optimistic because that's all we can do and believe that we will continue on this positive trajectory and that good things can come together. And actually, space, the greatest gift to come from space exploration is Earth and the ability to realise we're all in it together. So we need to see more people from more walks of life, more countries in space, and then they will come back to Earth, change, just as the Apollo astronauts came back and became, you know, Edgar Mitchell came back to Earth and became a priest. Yeah. Um, you know, Al Bean became an artist. People transform people, and, and that was just scientists and engineers. But imagine if we send the average Joe on the street, for example, the, you know, a woman in the village of India, how will they go out to their communities and, and transform them and, you know, and, and change them and get them on board with space flight? So my hope is that, um, of course, there's going to be conflict, of course, there's going to be competition, but we are naive to think that humans are that important and our petty quarrels are that important. As we go forward in space, we will realise how tiny we are in the vastness of the universe and all the wonder and all the possibility and the profoundness of, you know, answering the question of are we alone or not, which will hopefully happen in the next few decades and all the great discoveries will hopefully unite us. But I think there is regulation which needs to go along with this, but let's let's be optimistic about this because in what has been a, a dark year for so many in science, provides the answers and science and space gives us hope. And, and my hope is that um, as we succeed moving forward in space, it's those great discoveries that will ultimately unite us. Because when Apollo 11 landed on the moon, when you know, they went for all mankind, they, obviously it was American astronauts on the surface, but they represented humanity and that's how it has to continue. Absolutely. I don't want to keep it for too much longer, but I have, I have two, (laughs) but it's, it's all great. I'm sitting here with a massive smile on my face, thoroughly enjoying (laughs) listening to you talk. Uh, There's, there's a few things I want to bring up. Number one is space camp. You mentioned in your book that you went, and Emily was in Huntsville last week. I went last week. I saw, I saw on a social media, I'm a big fan of Emily and a big fan of space hipsters. Yeah. Yeah. So She'd not, she'd not been to Huntsville before, so it was a big deal for her. And me and her have been talking about, about Space Camp. Obviously, you got to go as a kid. Yeah. And what was that experience? Because you, you mentioned you went in the book, and I was then going, oh, tell us more about that. And it was the one thing you then didn't really go into any detail on. What was oh, that experience I, like? You um, know, it's funny, because I've worked on TV for like 12 years, doing like either news or, or TV shows in the US, or I was a weather presenter with the BBC, but... You're, I'm always used to being like on TV, but it's never about me. And it's the same with writing. I'm always used to writing, but I'm never the subject of the story. So it's still something I feel uncomfortable doing. But for me, um, I won the Young Scientist 2000 Awards and I got a scholarship to space camp when I was a teenager. And, you know, for a girl growing up in Hull, space camp was as far <laughs> removed from my everyday life yeah. as the moon might as well have been. It really, really changed my life. And space camp was just... It, have you ever seen the movie Space Camp? Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. Just like the movie, only we don't get to go in space accidentally at the end of it. <laughs> we literally get to play astronaut for a full week. They, I think they do adult space camps as well. Yeah, they do. We, Emily and I have been talking about you it. You have to do it. You have to do it. You live in like these dormitories um, and there's this amazing sign, like a, a sign which maybe changed my life. And as you walk through um, into the dormitories, there's a sign up saying, through these doors walks America's future astronaut, scientists and engineers. And as a, as a teenager who loves space, you can't help but get goosebumps because you're like, I can do this. You know, this is, I can be part of the future. It's the most inspiring place. I wish there was more scholarships to space camp because space needs to be 
everyone. I was so lucky to uh, win a scholarship to go there and there needs to be more international ones. Um, but you literally you wear flight suits, you run around mm-hmm. playing astronaut for a full week, you do scuba diving and, and simulate zero gravity, you do um, space missions. So they've got a space shuttle mock-up and a mission control mock-up and you go on like a simulated space mission for a few hours, you launch rockets, you, you meet like-minded people because I... You know, teenager in Hull, um, last name's Produs, into space, wasn't that cool? And then you <laughs> meet kids who also like space exploration and, and it gives you hope and it gives you purpose because space is cool now, but two decades ago, space wasn't that cool for young people. I remember those um, days. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it gives you, you meet your own kind and you feel inspired and you, um, yeah, you just run around and play astronaut for a week. I'm trying to, you know, this is 20 years ago now. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, this was like, I mean, the internet was starting up around then, but it wasn't that, yeah, we don't have social networks like we do now. Yeah. Are you still in contact with anyone that you met when yeah, you were there? Yeah, I mean, um, so through Facebook, I am um, one of the guys who's another English um, guy who's at space camp. He now works at the European Space Agency. So I've seen him a couple of times when I've been out there. Um couple of the other people um, are working in various parts of the world. So um, I'm not going to name companies, but in non-spacey jobs. But um, I've been in touch with one of the former bosses of Space Camp. And I, I do want to go back. Um, for, like At some point, I'll go back to Space Camp. Maybe I could join you and Emily and we could do an episode of this podcast from there. That we should what, do this. Yeah, let's, let's make that happen. <laughs> let's make that happen. We should get a team of space people. We should get higher space camp for the week and we should just like, have a <laughs> sex party. That would be amazing. And there's, there's also like a mock-up of the, the shuttle, which you um, can walk under, which is kind of outside like the main building. And it, yeah, it was just a lot of fun. The food wasn't great. Okay. Not big no, noted. <laughs> noted. <laughs> um, you know, but apart from that, um, yeah, it was just a wonderful time just doing science and making science cool and exciting because so often science or I think it's changing now, but science was so often seen as dorky and not that cool, but science is the language of the universe or maths is actually the language of the universe, but it was showing us that, that science matters and that it is cool. And I think, you know, as Michael Collins says, we, we need to get rid of celebrities and, 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 and celebrate real heroes, scientists, engineers, doctors, people mm. who are progressing humanity often without seeking praise. And I think, Every kid deserves to go to space camp and, and every adult should go also. <laughs> yeah, well, let's make that happen. I might start the Kickstarter up next week. Um, <laughs> so we, we have we have a Patreon page and I asked, we have a couple of what, different tiers and the top tier is called Astronaut. One of the things is I asked them if they have any questions for our guests. Um, so I've got two questions, which are kind of related, but I'll, I'll separate them. The first one's okay. from Lauren, who said she's got kids and she's homeschooling. And Hi, Lauren. she said, what is the one fact about space which you think always impresses children the most? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I'm going to give you two, if that's all right. Um, does it. it say how old Lauren's children are? Uh, there are a variety of age- ages. I know this. I haven't got it written down, but I know she's got one who's 17, but they go down to, I think, about eight. So I think okay. there's three or okay. four. So. Super mum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So two, two facts. Um, the first one is, um, and this is my personal favorite one, that when you look up at the night sky, pretty much every single star you can see when you look up there's at least one planet orbiting around it you know there are more planets than stars in our universe and to think that when you look up and if you look up at one of those stars there could be someone or something in a planet orbiting around one of those stars looking up and looking back at you and and all of us and wondering the same things you wonder such as what else is out there Mm. and are we alone so that that is my personal favorite fact and then the other one for anyone who's got children or any children listening to this is that 
the first human being to likely set foot on the surface of the planet Mars is probably a school-aged child right now. So yeah. some child in school, you know, our Mars walkers are among us. Some child in school right now, they may love space, they may love math, they may love science, they may love aviation, is the first human being to walk on Mars. I think it's incredible to think how far we've come as a species and to know that there is some child listening today who could be the first human being on Mars. It could be one of Lauren's children. And that is not science fiction. That is science fact. And that is so exciting. Yeah, ridiculously crazy that could even happen in our our lifetime. Anyway, the other question is from Amar and it's a kind of similar, you may have already answered this. Uh, He says, you've written books about space that are aimed at children. What, in your opinion, helps to make the subject interesting to children and young people? I think you probably covered that unless you have. Well, I just think it's it's wonder and, and possibility and exploration. You know, we are born explorers. Yeah. And I talk about this in book. Humans were built to go over the hill. They were built, you know, we want to know what is out there. And it's our curiosity which has created the modern world we live in today for good and for bad. You know, it's what differentiates us from animals. And all children are curious. All children love space. And it's about holding on to that curiosity and that wonder and, and teaching young people that it's not just about science. Mm. It's about art. It's about philosophy. It's everything that makes us human can be part of space because we're extending humanity into space. It's no longer about just going to the moon, planting a flag and then coming back. We've now got this human presence beyond Earth, you know, 250 miles up aboard the International Space Station and we're slowly expanding, slowly edging away from Earth. So to inspire children about space, I would just say, do what you do, do what you love. It doesn't matter what you love, just do it well and, and, and follow your dreams because you're the person who makes them come true. And, and even if you don't want to be an astronaut or a scientist, that's okay but you can learn a lot from the stories of our space explorers. They are our greatest heroes and they should be our greatest inspiration. And that is a great place to end. Thank you so much for having me. This operation is somewhat like the periscope of a submarine. All you see is the three of us, but beneath the surface are thousands and thousands of others. To all those, I would like to say thank you very much. So how good was that? I really love that. Um, I really, and by the way, I'd like to thank her for the, um, she gave me a nice shout out and I'm really honored. Uh, that's lovely. I love women supporting women in this industry exactly. uh, because there's not a lot of us really. I mean, there are, there are more than, uh, there are more of us than there used to be back in the day. But, um, so I, I really have to thank her for it. Thank you, Sarah. Um, I really love what she said. And, uh, you guys were talking about a little bit about Judy Resnick. I think everybody knows about this. She was like my idol growing up, you know, you know, a Jewish kid in Florida, you know, and I was like, oh my God, you know, there's a, you know, this woman who's really, excuse my language, kind of badass. Yeah. Who's going on the space shuttle, you know, and she's kind of tough and she wears makeup and she's really cool, you know, and I was just, I was just, I love her. I, I still love her to this day. I know she obviously died a while ago but i I, she's still my hero like so back back in those days um representation was really important because um especially from that level because there weren't a lot of women in space at the time there were only a handful of women astronauts by that point you know and i i'm not sure how many women there were you know under that probably not a great deal in growing up as a kid, you know, in the eighties with an interest in science, I was like an anomaly. Like, yeah. you no, know, people just thought I was a nerd. It wasn't hip back then. We'll just put it that way. It wasn't cool. I think now it's a little 
more acceptable. That sounds horrible. It sounds like it's a disease. (laughs) But I mean, it sounds, I think nowadays it's more. The nerds are taking over the world, right? Yeah, it's. I think nowadays, if a if a you know a elementary school age girl has a intense interest in space or in science or something, I think it's more acceptable and it's yeah. not seen as whoa, this is weird, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, so in the eighties, it was really like you know to see somebody like Judy Resnick and you know somebody kind of hip and she you know she was really just kind of a badass woman, you know, and she she was very independent and kind of tough, and just to see that was like a huge role model. For uh, I think for us all, so um, yeah, yeah. I'm glad Sarah mentioned that because that w- that was somebody a lot of us women uh, back in the day looked up to. Can, I'm putting you on the spot here, but has she got? A, uh, is there a biography about her? That's a good question. Um, no, there was one really good article, and um, I would have to find it. I, I read it a long time ago, and I don't have the magazine, unfortunately. Okay. Um, I've tried to look for it, but it's very expensive to purchase, <laughs> even from eBay. Yeah, it's one of those. But um, there's a magazine article about her. I want to say it's from the December 1986 issue of Esquire magazine. Wow, it's like a men's magazine in the United States. But there is an article, and I want to say the article was called "The Epic Flight of Judy Resnick," and it's like a biography about her, and it's it's really good. Like they actually went and interviewed, you know, people who. You know, guys who dated her and, you know, some of her, I want to say they interviewed some of her family too, yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, it was a really good article. If Judy had been alive to read it, she wouldn't have liked it because right. she was very private, but it was a really good biographical portrait of her. Probably the nearest thing that we've got to a biography, yeah. um, other than Mike Mullane's writing it, rockets. That's that's exactly what I was just about to say. That that, that it, and that's why I also there was a biography because I didn't want to. Um, although Sarah and I mentioned this book as well, um, that that's the the most I've learned about her is from that book. So yeah, um, but it, yeah, it was it was a great interview. We had to I had to obviously trim it down a little bit. We we actually spoke for about forty five minutes, and the, the full interview I will put up in in uh, in our Patreon account. So if you're a member of our Patreon, you can go and listen to the full thing because there was a load more that that, um it's not i didn't cut out because it was bad i just cut cut it out because we didn't have the time she was she was very given of her time with me and uh and we we, it was a great chat so please go and uh, go and have a listen to that and of course we'll be sharing links to sarah's website and social media accounts in our show notes and i'm sure we'll be tagging her as well so please do give her a follow if you don't already if you're interested in getting a copy of a book you can currently order a personalized signed version from space store uh, which website again i'll put a link in the in the show notes and tweet it out uh, it's perhaps a great christmas present for a space enthusiast but Yep, that's all we've got time for this week. Um, thanks again for all of you who have been so supportive of the show. We've had some really incredible acts of generosity coming towards us this week. Uh, in particular, I'd like to shout out to, to Sven Grant, I hope I'm saying that correct, and David Cuniff. Um, they've both done some very overwhelming things for us this week to, to support what we're doing here, and those acts of kindness are greatly appreciated. Yes, uh, I hope I don't get emotional here. Oh my God. Um, yes, I would like to thank everybody who uh, so much uh, who contributed this week um, and to our uh, regular contributors on Patreon, too. Um, we absolutely want to bring you guys the best show possible each week. And the more support we get, the more outlandish we can be <laughs> in our plans. Um, we also want to just thank everybody for just listening to us and for sending in comments, memes, and sharing the podcast with your friends. And uh, 
We hope to continue to make you something that keeps you all coming back. Yeah, that'd be great. So uh, thanks to you and thanks again for Sarah for coming on the podcast and do go and check out our book. Uh, And we'll see you next week. And remember, in space, no one can hear you stream. Space and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions.